church committee. So please come um, next Sunday um, in light of knowing that we will take a vote on who will be on that pastor search committee as we continue to search for a pastor here at Powell's Chapel. Um, with that being said, all the children are welcome to be dismissed for Children's Church. As they're dismissed, if we would um, stand up and greet one another, please. As you make your way back to, man, I, I can't get her attention and get the mic. It's on. As you make it back to your seats, if you uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. Also, as I stand here this morning, um, I'm feeling muscles that I've never felt before in my entire life. Uh, I feel like at any moment, my whole back is going to seize up on me. I'm just going to fall over. Chapter 5. We're going to continue uh, the series, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in particular. We're in uh, the middle of the Beatitudes. If you've been with us, you know that God has called us as his, his, kid, his, sing, his citizen kingdom and to learn how to live in that kingdom is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Um, this morning's, the message of this, title of the, this morning's message is, Blessed are the hungry. There's another way that we could title the message is, You are what you eat. You are what you eat. Um, and by the looks of things, uh, eventually I'm just going to be one big pint of uh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Um, the one thing I wanted after the race of seven hours was to go to the actual Ben and Jerry's ice cream shop in downtown Nashville, and I got a triple decker. Uh, I went all out. I said, if I'm going to put all that energy, I'm going to restore it with a ton of ice cream. But we are what we eat uh, this morning. And so 
I don't know about you, but when I think about I am what I eat, this is the person that comes to my mind. A few years ago, I was graduating from school, and my whole family was here in Nashville to uh, participate in the ceremony, and we went to the Country Music Hall of Fame. Now, I'm not a country boy. I don't, uh, don't dislike country music. I just don't listen to it, but my family does. My family's from East Tennessee, and they wanted to go uh, to the Country Music Hall of Fame, and so... We went on the first floor, and it was boring, and went up to the second floor, and I remember turning the corner, and all of a sudden, I saw this massive white, well, it wasn't really white, I'll get to that part of the story, huge limo in the middle of the, uh, the, the place, and I thought, what is that thing doing up here? If you've ever been to the Country Music Hall of Fame, they have Elvis Presley's 1960 um, Cadillac limo. And so I thought, man, that is one gaudy mess. And so I approach the limousine and get closer and closer, and I look and I begin to read uh, the marquee of this uh, car, Elvis's car. And in the car, the paint job alone has diamonds in it. They crush diamonds and put it into this car. And then I look closer, and the, the ceiling of the car is just rhinestone everywhere. And I began to look even closer, and there was a gold-plated uh, hair trimmer and I'm like what is this man doing but as I thought about Elvis Presley and I looked at Elvis Presley's life at one point he was making millions and millions and millions of dollars and yet at the very end of his life uh, we see and if you know Elvis's story he died of an overdose in his bathroom because he was what he ate you see, what Elvis Presley hungered for, there was never any satisfaction in it. And that's what Elvis Presley's life, he was a very talented man. I mean, he, we have a ton of talented music from him. Even today, we still listen to a lot of Elvis's music. But the tragedy of Elvis's life is not being remembered for his music, but it's being remembered for how he died, an empty man. Many people say that Elvis was a believer, and yet he still died an empty man. He still hungered for the things of the world. At any moment, Elvis could have had anything he wanted at the drop of a hat. He was that wealthy. And yet what is it that he hungered for and was never satisfied? I believe we'll see it in this text. I believe for us this morning as we look at this one particular text that God will speak to us through his son Jesus what do we hunger for? We are what we eat. And so what are we eating this morning? Let us pray before we dive into this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> God, I'm so grateful for you, for your word. God, I pray that your promise would be true for us this morning. That we would find satisfaction in you this morning. God, we all come in here uh, hungry individuals. I pray through your Holy Spirit that you, through your Spirit, would convict our hearts, God, of what we hunger for. And God, I pray that you would leave us satisfied this morning, that we'd come to your word and we'd be forever satisfied. And so, God, take us through this journey of this one text, of what you've spoken 2,000 years ago to bring satisfaction. We give you this morning. And do what you will in this place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. 
very simple passage. The Beatitudes are very, uh, very simple passages. They're not easy to live out, but they're very simple. And this is the passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says this, Blessed are those who want hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be satisfied. I want to take a backdrop of what it looks like to hunger and thirst for something in light of hearing Elvis, but I want to look at God's word. There's people throughout the word of God that hungered and thirst for things that were not righteous, and we see every time where they end up, and that was, will be true for us in our lives. If we hunger and thirst for things that aren't righteousness, things will happen to us. And so there's story after story after story after story. I want to look at three individuals in particular this morning. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, this is where God is speaking through Isaiah, and he's saying this, he says this about Lucifer this morning in this text in Isaiah chapter 14. This is the place that we learn that Lucifer had this demand for something, this hunger for something. This is the story where Lucifer falls out of heaven. This is what it says in, in Isaiah chapter 14. Verse 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, the son of dawn. That's Satan himself. That's Lucifer. How you are cut down to the ground and how you lay the, the nations low. You said in your heart, this is what you hungered for, Lucifer. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And then he says this, but you were brought down to Sheol, that is hell itself, to the far reaches of the pit. You see, Lucifer had this hunger for something. We're going to get to what he had to hunger for, but that's the first example that Lucifer hungered for something other than righteousness, that Lucifer hungered to become the most high. He hungered to become God. And what did God do? God sent consequences his way. When we hunger and thirst for things other than God, consequences will happen to us. You see, he had this desire, this thirst to be God. God said, no, there will be no gods before me. There will be no gods higher than me. There will be consequences for that. That's the first example. The second example is found in Daniel. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 4. And Daniel chapter 4 is about King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember, King Nebuchadnezzar had called the, the, the people of God into exile and begins to rule over the people of God. And in, in God's sovereignty and God's providence and God's control, he sends Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to live in exile with King Nebuchadnezzar, and they begin to speak to King Nebuchadnezzar, and then they begin to get fame in the kingdom, and in that, the people that served alongside King Nebuchadnezzar got very threatened by them, and then we see what happened to them. They begin to speak uh, to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and this is what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, verse 29. And we'll start in verse... Uh, 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. 
At the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the rooftop of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, he's talking to himself, Is this not great Babylon, which what I have built by my mighty power as the royal residence and the glory of my majesty? You see, Nebuchadnezzar's on the rooftop of his palace, and he's saying to himself, Look at all that I have done. Look at this kingdom that I have built. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar had a desire or a hunger for something. And in his hunger and his desire as he's on the rooftop, he is finding fulfillment in what he has done. We'll continue to read. It says this, all that I have built by my mighty power, verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth as they were coming out of his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven away from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the fields. And then all of a sudden, if you know the rest of the story, the consequences of, uh, of King Nebuchadnezzar's desire, his hunger for being all-powerful comes into play. He becomes like a beast, it says. See, there will always be consequences when we hunger and thirst for things that aren't of God. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar becomes like a beast, and then there's this moment, kind of like the same moment that happens in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, that he comes to himself, it says in the text. We'll get to how he comes to himself the same way that the, the young man in Luke chapter 15 comes to himself. So we see another example when we hunger and thirst for things other than God, there's consequences. Let's turn to the last example. There's many, many examples. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is with his disciples and he's telling his disciples this parable. Luke chapter 12, verse 16, here's the parable. He, Jesus, told them a parable saying, The land of of a rich man produces plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store up all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, I'll say to myself, soul, you have ample goods to lay up for yourselves many years to relax, eat, and be married. But God said to him, fool. You see, here's another man that hungered and thirsted for things other than God. You see, he hungered and thirsted for his crops. He thought to himself, if I could just get more crops, if I could get, just get more goods and have bigger barns, then I'll have more satisfaction. And God called him a fool for that. I'm not saying we don't store up and we don't get into a place of, hey, we need to look out out in front to say, hey, there's things coming. But this man said, I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. And his satisfaction was in the gaining of more. You see, he thought to himself, I could provide for myself because maybe God won't provide for me. He took his trust off of God. We see these three men hungered and thirst for something. The first one that we see, Lucifer, he hungered and thirst for power and control. You see, that was the whole deal of Lucifer. Lucifer will see out through the Gospels, even when he takes and tempts Jesus, his whole deal was to be in control. 
and to have all the power. And I thought to myself while I was studying, how often in our lives do we hunger and thirst for power and control? Now, it might not be as, as blatant as Lucifer. Maybe it's a little more subtle. Well, how often is that my desire? Is that what I hunger for? Is that what I thirst for is to have power and control? Because if I really want power and control, it's going to reveal something in my heart that I don't really trust God. The next man we see, King Nebuchadnezzar, we see this throughout the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. We see that King Nebuchadnezzar wanted all the praise and all the glory. Remember, that's what happened. That's how Daniel ended up in the lion's den because these men came around King Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, let everyone worship you. And I thought to myself as I was preparing this message, how often am I waiting for the accolades? How often am I wanting to do things to please and gain pleasure from other people? You see, it looks subtle. It doesn't look sinful, but it's sinful because I want something that is belongs to God and God alone. It does not matter if any praise comes to me. My life isn't meant to receive play, praise. My life is meant by God to reflect his glory to a lost world so that he would get the praise. And so at the end of the day, is it me that's getting praised or if it's God's that's getting praised? Because if it's me that's getting praised, then I really hunger and thirst for that. I will go out of my way to do that. And I will use people to do that. And the last example is the, the, the rich farmer. And his hunger and thirst was for pleasure. He had enough. He had more than enough. But yet it wasn't enough. You, you see, we can look at the life of so many superstars, so many musicians, so many entertainers, and this is true for all of them, all three of these. They want power and control. They want to have all the praise, and they want all the pleasure. That was the life of Elvis Presley. I mean, there is no need to have a limo that's crushed diamond in the paint. There is no need for that. And yet we see it didn't satisfy him at all. And so for us this morning, what do we hunger and thirst for? And what does Jesus say to hunger for? That's the ultimate question that must be answered this morning. What does Jesus tell us to hunger for and to thirst for? He tells us so plain in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Let's turn back to that passage of Scripture. I was going to say it's pr pretty black and white, but it's pretty red and white, actually. He says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God tells us that we must hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. And so what is he talking about? What is Jesus saying in this passage? You see, he uses the phrase hunger and thirst on purpose. You see, hunger and thirst are our basic needs. I cannot, you cannot provide if you do not, uh, or you are not fed and you do not have water. You will die. And so he's saying to us from this example is, hey, you will die if you don't have this. If you do not have righteousness, if you do not hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will die. I, I felt like that yesterday. I was about 10 minutes in. 
I know, it's crazy. I was thanking the Lord. It was not the weekend before where it was 95 degrees. It was at least sunny and overcast. But I was thinking to myself, I am going to die if I do not eat. Uh, I went to Panera right before. I thought, I need to load up on some carbs to get ready for the day because they're going to fastly go bye-bye uh, within six seconds of me walking out there with this 30-pound bag on. And so I ordered a, a large sandwich from Panera and drove halfway down the street and realized it was a half. And I thought, oh, this is going to be bad today. And then yesterday when I was packing my bag, I, I knew I had some energy bars. And so I went to the cabinet to get the energy bar. And uh, I guess Tennyson thought she needed an energy bar more than I did. And she ate one. And I had one left. And so for the rest of the day, I was rationing out this one energy bar. And I got to the last leg of, the, uh, uh, of this uh, race, and I had one little strip of bar, and I thought, if I could just make it the rest of the day, I'll be okay. I made it the rest of the day, and then uh, I, I was very hungry and very thirsty, and my bright idea was, hey, I know what's a good idea. Let me go to Happy Bees and have some hot chicken. <laughs> That's a bad idea after a race like that. But I was so hungry and so thirsty, and I topped it off with some ice cream. That's not the way to go. But as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking to myself, what do I hunger for? How do I hunger after righteousness? Because it's a basic need. If I had have gone all day yesterday and had not eaten, I'd be in worse shape today than I already am. Because I need energy to replace what I've done to my body in the race yesterday. But that's more true for me spiritually than it is even me physically. You see, I'm going to leave this place, and you will leave this place, and you, we will leave this place today, this church house, and we will go into the world. And, and what the Bible says through Paul is there is a war going out on out there for our souls. And we enter into a war every single moment of the day. And if I do not take care of my soul with hungering and thirsting for righteousness, I will die spiritually. Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Because that's what Christ tells me to do. He tells me to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But how does that start? You see, the beauty is, if you, you don't need to turn there, but in, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says this. God knows we, we will always be hungry and we will always thirst. He says it this way. He says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed in our souls a God-shaped hole that can only be filled by him. You see, God knows that we're in need of him. God did that to us on purpose. And yet, do we find our satisfaction in him or do we find our satisfaction in the world? Are we satisfied with God or are we satisfied with the world? You see, we will always be satisfied. Because our soul is longing to be satisfied. You see, the things of the world will satisfy you. Temporarily. See, that's the great delusion of Satan. You will find satisfaction in these things that Lucifer. You will find momentary relief in power and control. You will find momentary relief in pleasure. I was having lunch uh, two weeks ago and said this and at lunch, and Mr. Buddy said this, and I thought, man, I'm stealing that. He said, you can steal it. Sin is so beautiful. 
Sin is beautiful. That's what makes sin so attractive. That's what makes Satan so clever. He's going to make sin beautiful. He's going to make sin attractive so that he knows the place that's in our soul that longs to be satisfied with God will find momentary relief and satisfaction in the world. What are we hungering and thirsting for this morning? I believe it's got to start with where we've been going in this journey, the first three Beatitudes. You see, the only way we're going to get to hungering, thirsting for righteousness is if we live out the first three Beatitudes. Remember, that the poor in spirit say this, that we must say this, we must begin here, that we must turn away from self-seeking behavior. That is the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit says, I don't have it all together, and there's nothing that I can go after to satisfy the soul. I must be poor in spirit. I must remain needy to a God way bigger than myself. Which moves us into the next beatitude, those who mourn. Those who mourn turn away from being self-serving. The last one that we looked at last week, the meek turn away from being self-serving. So it's this idea as we walk through the Beatitudes that we're turning away from self to God. That's what leads us into this last one that we're here today. That as we turn away from self, that we come to a place that only there is something that can satisfy God himself. You see, the first three Beatitudes are costly, they're dangerous, and they're hard. They're they're costly. They're dangerous, they're hard, they're painful. You see, because the poor in spirit, we have to put death to ourselves. We must die to self, the way Paul says it. That's costly, and that's painful. The second beatitude is this, we must mourn, we must face our sinfulness. We must look in the mirror, we must ask God to examine our hearts. That's a very painful process. Nobody wants to be called out on their sin, at least I don't. That's a painful process, but it must be done. It must be done for our sanctification. It must be done to become more like Christ, but it's painful. The meek, the meek is so tough. It's a surrender to our power and our control. If we are really going to be meek people, we will let go of the reins as we've talked about last week. We will let go and let God take the reign of our life. That's scary. That is scary to allow God to control every aspect of our lives but see when we begin to do those three things those things in the Beatitudes when we really become poor in spirit and we mourn over our sin and we let go of control then it leaves us at this place of what only this fourth Beatitude can do is that we really will hunger and thirst for righteousness because we have nowhere else to go we've got nowhere else to turn unless we turn to God and God himself You see, the next three Beatitudes that we're going to look at, the first three are very painful, and the last three are very rewarding. You see, this is a a reward that is given to us by God. When When we thirst for righteousness and we hunger for righteousness, the outpour of that will be that God is the one that satisfies, and I don't have to satisfy myself any longer. You see, when I satisfy myself, it always leads in destruction. It always leads to death, is what Paul says in Romans. He says that we will be satisfied. You see, this is the part, this is how the equation goes. I must remain hungry, and when I remain hungry, 
God does the rest. God satisfies. But I must remain hungry, and therefore God will satisfy. I must remain hungry, and God will satisfy. You see, what God is saying through Jesus in this beatitude is this, this ongoing hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's the more I get to know God, the more I spend time with God, the hungrier I get for God. Just last, like last night talking about the ice cream. I know it's a pitiful example, but I could have had three more scoops of ice cream. Because I got a taste of what cookies and milk ice cream tasted like. I got an experience of what this new uh, ice cream, this coconut ice cream, which is amazing. But I got a taste of it, and in tasting of it, I wanted more of it. That is true for us in our relationship with God. When I taste the righteousness of God, I will want more. I will long for more of it. And it will be an ongoing cycle. There won't be enough satisfaction in my heart with the righteousness of God, which drives me to want more and more and more, and then I get satisfied more and more and more and more. I don't end up in a place that I get content with having a godly life, because I'm living out the Beatitudes. Every day I notice I'm in need of God through the first Beatitude, and every day I'm mourning over my sin, because there's only one perfect person that's ever walked the planet, and they're not in here, and I'm not it, and so Jesus is the only perfect one. And so therefore, if I'm not perfect, there is sin that happens in my life, and I must do an ongoing confession of that sin, which leads me to the third beatitude, that in that I will then want to pour out that grace on other people become meek. But it's coming out of this flow of, man, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you and do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Because we will be satisfied. I want to look at four passage of scripture really quickly as we see that God's promises come true. God made a promise to us that we will be satisfied. The first one is in Psalm chapter uh, 107. Psalm, Psalm chapter 107 verse 9, this is what David writes. For he, God, satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. That's a promise from God this morning. I'll read that one more time. Psalm 107. For he, God, satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Turn over to probably one of the most famous psalms in all of the psalms. Uh, Psalm 23. This is where David starts. Look at verse 1 and verse 5. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We shall not be in want when the Lord is our shepherd because he's satisfied. Verse 5. How come we shall not be in want? Is He answers the question. He prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. You see, God has put us at a banquet table. And it's not one of those five-course, $250 meals when it's one piece of carrot with some drizzle on it. It's this full-blown meal for us. It's as if heaven is Ryan's steakhouse. All you can get as much as you can take. God satisfies the soul. Turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is the woman at the well, and 
Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. The woman at the well is living in sin, he tells us. And sure, her longing, her desire, she's trying to fulfill within relationships with men. And yet Jesus says this to her in John chapter 4, verse 14. We're starting verse 13. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that what I give to him or her will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. You see, it's this ongoing replenishment of the soul that God satisfies us with. The last one is a few pages over. John chapter 6, verse 35. very familiar passage. Jesus said this to them, the disciples. He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. I pray that would not be true for us. But what he's saying in verse 35 is, he is the bread of life. And in him being the bread of life, that he will satisfy us this morning. So for us this morning, as we look at hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the, 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 the question I had for myself, the question I have for you, the question I have for us as a church is, how do we know when we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Here's the test for us this morning, if you will. Uh, just four things. The first one is this, that we will have a, dissatis- a dissatisfaction with ourselves. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul had a dissatisfaction with himself. The apostle Paul was dissatisfied with himself. Of anyone on, uh, in the New Testament after Jesus uh, ascended into heaven could be boastful and prideful and have no dissatisfaction with himself, I would think it would be Paul, the greatest missionary church planner this world had ever seen. But yet Paul himself had a dissatisfaction. He tells us in Romans 7, 24, he says about himself, whoa, what a wretched man I am. Is that true for me today? Would I say that about myself this morning? Oh, what a wretched man I am. I hope so. The second test is this. There's a dissatisfaction with the things of the world. Is entertainment enough for me? I was reading in a commentary and thought to myself, all the things uh, that I laugh at sometimes, God would not be laughing at those things. dissatisfied with what the world offers me or if I just become a a creature of entertainment I want to be entertained I was convicted by that I was convicted uh, last Sunday morning when uh, Larry read to us in our deacons meeting uh, from Colossians about putting off the things of the world and taking on the things of God and I just got convicted to my soul about some of the things that I do not put off. And one of those things is entertainment. It's slight. It's not a big sin. But I laugh at things I know God would not laugh at. The next thing is this. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 15. We will turn to Jeremiah chapter 15. I love what Jeremiah says, the prophet Jeremiah. I want to read this to us. The next thing that we see when we really do hunger and thirst for righteousness is that we will desire God's word. We will have a longing for God's word. Jeremiah chapter 
15, verse 16. He says this, Jeremiah. Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became my joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Do I eat the word of God? Do I eat God's word? What Jeremiah was saying to us in this passage is he delighted himself in God's word. You see, David said it himself, I've hidden your heart in my I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, these two men delighted in God's word. They hungered and thirsted after God. And it came through his word. The last one would be this. Do I find pleasure in the things of God? Do I find pleasure in coming to church? Do I find pleasure in worshiping God? Do I find pleasure in praising him? Do I find pleasure? Does my soul hunger and thirst for those things? You see, for me, I pray for us as a church, I pray that Sunday morning isn't just something we've always done, but Sunday morning for us is a place that we would come to the banquet table of God and that he would satisfy our souls in this place every Sunday morning because we desire God that way. Not because I should go to church or I'm supposed to go to church, but man, I need to go to church. I need this place for my soul. I need communion with God. I need communion with other believers. And that's what satisfies my soul. That's what satisfies your soul. And so for us, as we turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 in closing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. My prayer is that you're satisfied this morning. Let us pray. God, I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as individuals. I pray for us this morning. I pray that you would lead us and guide us. I pray that we would get hungry for you. thirst for you we'd long for you and then God in our thirsting and longing for you that we would uh, be satisfied that our souls would be satisfied continue to lead us God I pray if there's someone in here that doesn't know you as their personal savior I pray that this morning they are hungering and thirsting for you because God we must have uh, as unbelievers there must be hunger and thirst for satisfaction if we're ever going to come to know you. So I pray for us this morning, God. God, I pray for the believer here this morning. I pray for our hunger and our thirst, that the ongoing experience of that would be a deeping in what you call our sanctification. I pray that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. So God, lead us. Keep us hungry for you, God. I pray this in Christ's famous name. Amen.